I'm so excited to bring M to our conversation today. Let me tell you about M. M is a mental health advocate, speaker, podcast host, producer, and photographer and creator of the Faces of Fortitude movement. This is a movement that M began as a series of portraits to document the healing of people who've been affected by suicide. M's portraits have spoken to people's hearts and tell a much bigger story about a very dark subject. Yet, M is bringing light to this, enlightenment and light to how we all look at the subject of suicide. Please, let's welcome M to the conversation. And here's M. Oh, M, listen, it's just been such an awesome time waiting for this conversation. And I have to tell you that you and I can be present um, via this conversation with smiles on our faces. Well, that's an achievement in and of itself. The subject matter is big and it's deep that we're going to talk about today. Uh, there's so much more to you than a discussion on suicide. But we're going to jump right into it because that's the commitment that we've made to our family. And you know that our listeners are our family and that they are global. You also graciously speak on a global level to this question of suicide. I'd love us to start our conversation with one that I had the blessing to witness from you on a TEDx talk. And it was one where you referred in 2007 to an Atlanta stopover um, and your younger brother, Jimmy. Mm -hmm. I think it launches us into not just what we're talking about and how we're speaking of it, but why you come to it so personally and so committedly. Yeah, I um, <clears throat> have two siblings and my brother is the youngest seven years and i was flying through atlanta um it was a stopover and my brother lives in atlanta and you know he was at a point in his life 26 where he was struggling it was you know and i was that older sibling that was off on my first really big vacation with my baby and family and um i had a friend that was with us that said you know doesn't your brother live here you should give him a call and I said, you know, every time I get him on the phone, it's a lot. You know, we all have those family members that are going through a lot and we don't think about what that one conversation can do. So I just nicely said, I'm not, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna do that. And um, I'll, I'll call him on the way back. And six hours later, he took his own life in that same city where I passed through. And, um, you know, it's, it's something, would I have saved his life? <laughs> we can't tell that. That's not what it's about. It's so much deeper than that. And so, you know, I did have lots of therapy. I had to go through over that and just the process in general, when you lose anyone to suicide, it's, they, they liken it to um, your body, what your body goes through in a plane crash suicide loss, the, sh the amount of shaking of your insides, your foundation. And um, that started me on a trajectory that I believe my brother had a larger part in than I like to realize. Whatever your faith may be, whatever part of the universe you believe in, I believe he had his hand in some of what my future held 
based on the trauma that he knew was going to happen to me. And he knew he kind of contemplated for so long. But if he knew that if anybody could find the post-traumatic growth in it versus post-traumatic stress, that growth that I didn't even know existed, my brother knew that I was going to be able to pick that up and run with it. Wow. And suicide is such a dark subject and uh, is so often sprung from dark experiences. How do we see it coming? I mean, whether it's in our families or our friends or even ourselves, can we see it coming? You know, um, I just got asked this for a PBS thing. And I, I told her, I told the woman, I was like, don't you think if we could if, if we could break it down into a list, we wouldn't have a problem. Don't you think it, there'd be no suicide in the world if we knew what boxes to check? It's, it's not about the boxes. It's about the awareness. It's about being able to look at ourselves. I think so many people are like, well, I'm doing fine. I, I don't need anything. But what I didn't realize was it's not that I wasn't there for my brother. It's that I wasn't there for myself. And I wasn't there I attempted very severely at 17 years old. I went to the hospital. My parents lied about where I was because they didn't want to tell the family. There was so much shame. When you're, if you're over the age of 40, you're part of a different generation that just didn't talk about those things. So, you know, in my family, I was the, the oldest of an Italian family. I was the Sofia Coppola of my family. And so me wanting to do this was... A, Un, not understandable by anybody in my family. So they just had to figure it out. So my little brother and my sister found me on the floor that day in my own vomit. And my brother was only 11. He was not explained what happened that day. My sister was older. She knew my brother was not. And I honestly believe that if that vulnerable conversation was able to happen with him that day, when 15 years later, when he was posed and poised at the brink of whether he wanted to survive or die, um, he would have known that he had a sibling that had been in that dark space before because he had heard about it when he was a kid. We are afraid to have these conversations. So what I didn't realize is I started work doing this pro these projects around my brother's death and I hadn't even unpacked my own mortality and what I was thinking that day when I was 17 and how all of it is now creating a passion, a life's work for me. And how can you really fully examine and get the most out of a life's work if you haven't unpacked your own stuff, mm. you know? So that's, yeah. I'm unpacking publicly, I guess, is what I like to tell people. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's very helpful to so many of us and I'm truly grateful you're doing it. Um, you talk about having attempted yourself. You talk about your brother having succeeded. Um, mental illness covers a broad space and, you know, we have to vet this number, but I was told that over 50,000 people died of suicide in the U.S. alone this past year. We have a global audience and still all mental illness does not lead to suicide, does it? Do you know how to think about this in a way that encourages us to study ourselves earlier than later? Yeah, it's so, it's so, first of all, can I thank you for asking these questions? Because I think what's happening right now is people aren't asking them or they're asking them one time a year, which is suicide prevention day every year. Yeah. 
I had a company hire me to talk to them on suicide prevention day. And I said, mm -hmm. did you check your boxes? Is that what this is for? Mm -hmm. Why didn't you hire me two months ago? Like when maybe the pandemic, you know, you, you laid off 200 people. Let's talk about it then. Let's talk about it when the mental health of your employees is at stake. So my suggestion to so many people I, I created, and the answer is right behind you. The answer is your plant, your mm -hmm. plant behind you. As you see, I'm in this little forest. Mm -hmm. We take care of our plants like they are royalty. Some people get filtered water. Some people, they move them for the sun. Do you do that for yourself ever? Come on, really? Do you give yourself all of that? I mean, some people do, but my therapist went on vacation, not vacation. Okay. Katie decided to have a baby when I needed her the most. <laughs> she went on maternity leave and I was like, how dare you? She's been my therapist for seven years. And she went on maternity leave at the beginning of the quarantine of all times. I was, I was unpacking three major traumas. And so she said, you can handle this. I've been your therapist for a while. I've given you the tools. You need to figure out how to unpack this stuff by yourself. And, you know, houseplants, they're the new sourdough starter is what people are saying. Cause everybody in quarantine has them now. Um, and so I started taking care of my plants when I was not doing well emotionally. And I realized that these things I was doing to my plants, I should have been doing for myself when I was unpacking this trauma. So I started writing cause I'm a writer as well. So I wrote six steps to unpacking my trauma as steps because any good earth sign is a Virgo, you know, any good earth sign, we compartmentalize, we organize, we do, we study, we are, we are prepared for everything that could go wrong whenever. Right. So I, and we take it to the soul. Exactly. Because if, if we don't, what it's a waste of our time, well, I don't have time for that. So I created these six steps and I started using them to unpack three major traumas in my life. And they, help you regulate your body and listen. I don't think we're listening to ourselves. How often have you been at a party or a gathering and somebody knows that you've just done a podcast about something or talked about something emotional and they feel like they know you well enough to come up to you and share all of these things, paragraphs, stories of their life. That's a lot for us to handle. And some, the average person, unless you're educated around therapy, can't handle trauma for longer than about 10 minutes. Oh, I remember being a, a, a kid, used to those of us over 40, I can almost double that at this point. Uh, no. I, yeah, 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 yeah. For real, for real. Hey, look, I own it. I'm grateful to it. We're talking about life and death. I'm living a long life and I'm living it in health. And that's why it's so important to share and to help you know, as many people as possible to find that space and that ability in themselves. Uh, I remember in when I was growing up uh, that the answer was wrote to how are you? Great, how are you? Um, and in the, that, that really took me some, growing up professionally, that really took me some unlearning to get to that place where people just say, great, how are you? Because when I grew up in the deep South, um, if you ask someone how they were feeling, gosh darn it, you took the time and you listened. And they may go anywhere with it if you hadn't seen them for a week or so. And, you know, we're all accustomed to having regular physical checkups, whether we get them or not. Right. Um, it's a good idea to have, is it, I guess, a good idea to have mental and emotional checkups? And are we equipped through community health programs 
to do it appropriately. I'm asking you as broad a spectrum of how our current healthcare system works to how our cultural support systems work, but to formalize mental checkups alongside physical checkups. Is that something you rally for and or see as possible in? Uh, the short answer is yes. The long answer is with an asterisk, no. Like, are we prepared as a society? Does our medical system support this? No and no. Like, it's a mess. I think a lot of people are like, oh, well, this was drug use or this was this and suicide this and suicide that. And I'm like, no, no, no. Let's take the root. We're talking about suicide as our end result. What is on top? What's up here? Anything that's been happening in the last two years, we are losing jobs. We are losing businesses. We are losing people that are of brown, black, and indigenous, especially trans and queer people. We are losing people because of the infrastructures that are creating bad mental health. That has nothing to do with people not being able to necessarily go to therapy or have their meds. It's everything else piling onto us and creating this bad mental health. And what's happening now is we also used to be so busy traveling and, and creating these faux salves to feel better. But then the quarantine mm -hmm. happened and we all had to stay in place and on our uncomfortable spaces for a while. And that's scary to people when you can't get up and go do something to forget about what's bothering you or that, that bloom, as I call them. So now I'm trying to teach people to listen to their blooms, because when you can listen to when you've had enough, you can create a safe space for other people that need that safety in conversation in you, but you can't do it truthfully, unless you listen to yourself first. And what I'm trying to teach people is when you have, let's say, here's an example. And I feel like as a business owner, you will understand this. You can't, I have a lot of people that are like, I'm going to quit. I can't stand the person I work for. You're never going to like everybody you work for. So how do you process working with difficult people? You have to decide. And so I tell people, what are your blooms that come up? Well, when this person cancels a meeting last minute or talks over me in a meeting, I get so angry. Okay, that's a bloom. And I understand and your feelings are valid, but you're reacting very severely. Let's, act, let's access why. Let's dig. And that's the first thing is let's dig and find the roots of that. Well, when you were young, your parent, you had a neglectful parent that never listened to you and you yelled and screamed and nobody was there. There it is. There's your root. How do you go back and parent yourself so that you know your worth? You know what you're worth of being treated. So I'm trying to get people to see that it's not what you can do for your community. It's not the boxes you can check. It's actually here that we create safety first for ourselves and then for the people around us or the people that work for us or what have you. Does that make sense? That was a really roundabout answer. <laughs> it, 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 it does make sense. And we're talking about a very broad uh, subject. So, you know, we're going to go round and about. Um, here's the thing. Suicide is arrived at from so many factors. I mean, it can be uh, sought to serve ends as well, like greed, shame, yes. anger, or payback. It's complex. It is, a, is it a response to fear of losing or the loss of control? I mean, we love to package things. We love to solve things. Um, 
one of the things I think you encourage is don't try to solve a person. Listen and care for a person and be there with them. Is there a way to determine how you though help a person? Because if it's derived from so many ends and it also can be used to seek ends from for different things and places, mm-hmm. how do we get into that of it? It's very personal, isn't it? it it's not a we, we want a community system for it, but we still need personal and professional support to it, don't we? We do. And it's so, you're right. It's very sensitive and it's very, because listen, you could do every single thing right. You could have a great relationship with your kids. You could check every box. You could do everything perfect. And you know what? The next day your child could still take their own life. It could still happen. We are not guaranteed any of this. I think the most important thing is that we have to understand that we can't fix it. There is no quick fix, but we can make sure that people know we're there. They know they have resources in in us. Once they are there and ask, we will help them with them. I'm a fixer. I was raised being a fixer. So it's like, you tell me your problem and I got it. But then I had a daughter that's a Virgo who is now 25. And she, she looked at me one day. Cause I'm a, fi- I'm a, I am such a Capricorn fixer. When she brings me a problem, I'm like, Oh, it is. You let me know. I'm got it. I got it for you. She looked at me one day and she said, mom, can you just listen this time? I don't think I need it fixed. And I was like, Oh, we need to ask people, do you want me to hold a space for you? Do you want to hear my, my heart to hear yours? Or do you want me to put my efforts to work and help you get out of this? Because I can do that too. Oh my goodness, Em. My Virgo daughter, very often and from a very young age, clued into the idea that mom's the fixer, right? And she would start conversations quite frequently with mom, you're just going to listen this time, okay? Yes. You, 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 you know, and, and, and I think honoring that is very important to people. You know, I want to shift though, because and for years, the discussion around assisted death and death with dignity acts have been debated. And with our discussion we're having right now, we're talking about assisting a person's right to a decision, or are we talking about helping them to a healthy place from which they can make that decision? I mean, where do we draw the line? And is that part of the heaviness of people having this conversation? Am I too deep here? No, not. mm. I am so much to my family's discomfort. I am pretty open about everything. So I don't think you're too deep. Um, You know, this is what I think about that. I think that um, there's a, there's a great movie called Youth in Oregon around this topic. And um, repeat the name of the movie. Youth in Oregon. And it's um it's it's spelled youth, but it's supposed to be a play on words for euthanasia. Um uh-huh. and uh, I think it's Christina Applegate's in it. And it was a it was a low budget film, but um some big names. And um it's a great movie. And um, you know, I do I I really honestly believe that we have to understand that whether it's done by suicide or done because someone is terminally ill and has made the choice or ill or in pain, they're both choices. 
They're both free will. We all have the free will to do that at any time in our life. And I think once people understand that, I, I once I interviewed someone for my Faces of 42 project and took their photo and they looked right at me in my camera as we were talking about this subject. And they said, Em, I'm sorry to say this to you, but I know for a fact down the road, 10, 20 years, that if I have a choice by how I will die, I will be the one to make myself leave this earth. And I looked at them and I was terrified and I was heartbroken. And I, re and I, I was so shocked. And he, they looked at me and said, why does that, I mean, you're talking about this. It's my free will. It's all of our free will. I think what, what the question here is, is do we value our life? Do we value our presence here? And I think when you asked earlier, is it because of the loss of control that people decide to make this choice? I don't believe it is. I think it's the opposite. I think mm -hmm. they feel as though they are such a burden, their issues are such a burden and are taking control of so many of their family's lives and emotions that they want to relieve that from people. They feel bad. It's there's a burden of guilt. The idea that someone will look at a suicide and say that person was selfish is beyond me. I hear it all the time. And I, I, I teach an end of life class. I'm not teaching. I'm in the syllabus. So I speak to a class once a month for end of life doulas, which is a thing which I didn't know. And um, they said, you know, what do you say to family members that are grieving that say it was selfish? And that they were, you know, they're, they're, they're uh, cowards. And <clears throat> this is what I say. And if this gets too deep for you, please tell me. But this is really, this is truth for me. And this really hits home when I tell students this. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to picture my brother standing at the edge of a windowsill on the ninth floor of a building in Atlanta with his eyes closed. If he was feeling scared and cowardly, how on earth would he have been able to do that? I wouldn't be able to, I'd be too scared. It takes so much courage and strength to be able to do something so huge because you are so worried that your own pain is gonna hurt the people around you. It's a gift that they think they are giving people. And, I, and it's such a strange way to look at it, but you have to look at the amount of courage it takes to do something so scary and where that fear and pain comes from. That's how I see uh, it. A lot of the fear, that's, that's so big. And, 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 and you know, we're all gonna have different uh, thoughts. We're mm -hmm. all gonna come into the conversation from different places and we'll leave the conversation from different places. We have different ideas about, you know, uh, this. And so I'm grateful that you share your, your, your perspective on it. Um, here's the thing. A lot of kids and adults are engaged in social media and none of us, I think, are going to live completely away from it. I know, you know, there is a movement about getting off the grid. Uh, but, you know, there is help and there is harm. Mm. How can you speak to us about the help and the harm of social media? And, and recall that our family of listeners 
are typically between 20 and 45, 50 years of age. Certainly we go beyond that span, but that's where the core. Why is that the core? Because so many are college students mm. or they are entrepreneurs. And um, I think just over 60, 60 mid percent are women. This is a population who either has a family member or a child who they have to be thoughtful for. We escorted our parents mm. into social media, into Facebook and, and, and into FaceTime and, you know, over COVID. So how do we talk about that? And how do we help people understand how to have a healthy relationship with it? such a, such a big question. <laughs> um, I love social media. I have to say it's done. I taught myself everything I know. And all of my work was social media based. Now, that being said, um, I think the difference between, and I, and I make this separation only because I have to, but you've got your X gen and your boomers, and then you have your millennials and zillennials and, you know, ex, uh, yes, the younger generations. We lived through a time we didn't have it. So we had the tact and the conversation status abilities in person with people. I think what's happening now and what's affecting mental health so much is the fact that something happened between the y, Y2K and millennial generation where the internet took over our social status. So now we have a full generation of people that doesn't understand how to communicate outside of that. And people are getting very bold and it's affecting mental health. So I think I, I, I'm, I'm pretty active on TikTok because I didn't, I wanted to see what these kids who messed up Trump were all about. And it turned out to be a really great place for content, short bite content and a really high return. And so when I, um, was commenting, there's just a lot of younger people that are very offensive or very um, cross a lot of boundaries. And I tried to make this point to somebody because when you're younger on social media, it's all instant, instant gratification, instant information. Nobody knows what an Encyclopedia Britannica set looks like. You know what I mean? It's like, you Unless know what I had to do? To my house. <laughs> yes, yes. But it's like, that's how I got information. People, you know, in states where weed is legal, now you can go buy it from a white guy in a, with, a, with a tablet. I used to have to crawl through a bedroom door of somebody's sister's friend out. You know what I mean? Like it was just, everything is different. Everything is instant now. So I want people to understand that with what you say, it's instant and it hurts instantly and people don't think about it. So I had someone say something to me pretty harmful. And I, I said to them, if we were in line at the pharmacy right now and you were in front of me and you've never seen me before in your life, could you turn around and say this to my face? And they were like, well, no. I guarantee, like, I'm the kind of person that's like, you're gonna cross paths with me someday and I'm gonna make you say that to my face. Nobody will do it. And I'm the kind of person who was like, find me, let's talk, let's have a conversation. But people don't wanna do that. So I think what's happening in social media is we're having to learn new kinds of boundaries new types of communications and cancel culture has came come in and the x gen and the and the boomers are not given the chance and the time 
we need to catch up. And so what's happening is I, I have such a love for the younger generations because of their level of knowledge, their consent, but I will wait a beat and let you ask some questions. Cause I think that's what's happening is creating these rifts in this mental health problem is people don't want to talk about it anymore because you should know, you should be able to Google it. You should be able to do this. Well, not everybody can do that. Mm-hmm. So I think the mental health, I think so, social media is great, but I think that there's a lot of, a lot um, that's harmful as well. Is the age of suicide getting younger or is our information more revealing? Oh, a little both. But I think um, at the beginning, the first after the first year of the quarantine, the National Suicide Hotline reported that their calls to the hotline were up 300 percent, 300 percent the first year. People were traumatized. They were scared. They didn't know what to do. Nobody's lived through a pandemic unless you were 108. That was the last time. You know what I mean? Like nobody's lived through this. So, you know, I think that I'm, I have, I know people that are on that off the grid train. I can't do it for my work for socially. Like I actually prefer to communicate with people socially now on the internet because I don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to get COVID. It's great. I can have my, you know, my small group of friends, but I do think that it's something that we need to look at with our children and with our teens you have to understand that if you're raising someone and you're too busy to explain to them um, how they can be harmful and their footprint and their damage on the internet, if you can't do that with your children, you're going to have to possibly deal with the repercussions after the fact, you know? We we talk about the harm and the healing of social media and various platforms Um, in you had a journey to do that self-portrait and to begin that process of portraiture. How hard was it for you to make that decision and how healing has it truly been? What, 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 I, I, we all know it's, it evolved and it helped a lot, but what journey did you take until you realized it was helping? Because you know, some hurt was under there too. Oh, for sure. You know, I think, um, I started, I was not, I'm not a, I'm not a photographer. I wasn't a photographer before I was a producer. I was working for an online education company. I was educated in business. Do you know, that was what I was so waiting to ask you. Were you a photographer, uh, before your uh, portraits or were you just a seer of people? And I I was a seer of people, but I was a producer of photography and video music videos. And so I had an eye, I knew what it entailed. I didn't have the technology and I didn't have the skill, but any, as, as somebody who's worked behind, you know, in talent, you know, a producer is just a really fancy word for bitch work. Like, it's just really like, you're the person that's going to get it done so that I have everything I need. So I was that person, but I was never the, the main creator. And, um, I was inspired by somebody else's project. And I, got a 10 year old camera out of my closet and took a picture. And I had created this space for myself to really talk out loud about what had happened to me by myself in a studio. It was daunting. I cried and I snapped pictures with my remote as I did it. And I remember thinking, I'm going to get a few of my brother's friends that want me to take their picture and that'll be it. And it just exploded. It exploded. And I started getting... And what I realized was, oh, well, this picture of me was good, 
but if I'm going to take pictures of other people, I mean, and this is, this is again, earth sign. I was like, I need to do them justice. So I went where everybody else goes to learn things, YouTube. And I was also working for an education company that made photography classes. So I was like, I might as well take, and I got them for free. Why don't, why can't we educate? So I, I taught myself to take photos, to edit photos, to market myself on social media and jumped right in. And along the way, even as it's unfolded, I still didn't know what I was doing. I was fake it till you make it. And then I did a speech. Somebody asked me to talk about my project at an event. I'm not, a, I wasn't a speaker. I was like, you should come. You were, I did your project. Now you do mine. It's just a few hundred people come talk, bring some of your pictures. And I was like, uh, I don't speak. And he was like, I'm not actually asking you just come. I'm going to pay you. And he pushed me into it. And I got there. And that's when I learned about post-traumatic growth. I had somebody, the main speaker came up to me afterward and said, you should do this for a living. And I said, no, that's not what this was. This was just a favor for our friend. And he said, you should do it. You have post-traumatic growth. I'm pretty sure of it. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. And he said, Google. And once I Googled that, I was like mind blown at what the possibilities were. And, you know, fast forward, I've done two TEDx talks and I'm writing my book and I'm, I'm all of a sudden found this throat chakra that I'm like, oh, there's my voice. And I think that having the courage to teach myself those things and realize that at 46 now, my life is not over. It's actually, I'm just finding it. So many of us ex-gen parents with the divorce rate so high and all of that, I just gave my life to my child. I was like, I don't need things. I'm just going to be the super parent that I never had. And in that I lost myself and my own healing. And now I'm finding it again through this really sad work that is actually turning out to be so healing because every single person I photograph or talk to has survived something major. First of all, it constantly reminds me the power of the human spirit, just phenomenal. But secondly, it the way people heal is very unique. So if you can like grab those nuggets of wisdom and keep them, imagine the healing you can do for yourself. And so I'm seeing it as a plethora of knowledge for myself when I watch people prevail. Well, I have to tell you, a dear friend of mine, one who actually just recently came back into my life in a very uh, visible way, shared with me that they believe we can only be as sick as our darkest secrets, that we all have them secrets, whether they're secrets we intentionally hide or secrets we have from ourselves about who we are. And they're all covered by our culture, our shame, and our fear. Um, but that thing that they said about we can only ever be as sick as our darkest secret. Mm -hmm. Let's bring some light to this conversation we're having. We started out saying you don't try to fix people. Listen, care, hold, be there. Mm -hmm. um, still, there is light in this dark conversation. Talk about that a little bit, Em, uh, so that our family can hear how healing can be wonderful. And do you believe, do you share the belief of my friend that we can only be as sick as our darkest secrets? I, I do believe that. And I think that's a great way of putting it. Uh, tell your friend I'm inspired by that. I think that I, 
I honestly believe that as I've begun unpacking my dark secrets and my pain and my trauma in my forties, because, you know, let's be real. That's when we all start therapy as an older in our life. Once we are, get our stuff together, it's a, it's a very visceral process. And I think what I'm finding is while it's painful, you know, let's say you lost a parent to suicide or a child. We can't even fathom, especially if you're a parent, that pain. But what I've, I, I've found is that I, I interviewed a widow who said, my joy isn't gone. It just looks different. I smile differently. But what I like to tell people is our bodies hold trauma and, and pain physically, especially in our core. If you can speak it outside of your mouth, outside of your head, it sounds different. Oh, pain. Wow. Say that sounds. again, M. Say that again. If you can speak it yeah. outside speak of words. your pain. Speak your pain, speak your trauma, whatever happened to you. Say it in sentences out loud for somebody else to hear. There's two reasons why. It sounds different outside of your head. Pain sounds different. It's data once it's outside of your head. It's data for how we can be there for you, how we can listen to you, how we can take care of you. We don't know unless it leaves your head. Also those words, you know, they say to, in, in order to, uh, I'm gonna let that go by. My, my siren, I'm gonna let it go by so you can, it's a little loud. Um, so the, the words, when they come out, they hold space. When you put it out into a neutral space, it removes it from your body for a moment and it lets it sit in this neutral space. Also, when you tell me your trauma for the first time, if you're with someone that's a neutral partner, they don't have to be a therapist. They can just be a friend, family, whatever. If you speak your trauma out loud to me, when I hear your trauma for the first time, my reaction is part of your healing. And let me explain that because I want people to understand this. If you have somebody that comes up to you and says, oh my gosh, I was just in a huge car accident and I lost this and I did this. What do you do? You go, oh, are you okay? Oh my God, that's right. That's your reaction because it's a car accident. If someone says, my mental health is really bad. Um, I, did, I couldn't go to work for two days or I lost so-and-so to suicide, something like this. You go, Ooh, well, you know, you get, do some self-care. You'll be fine. You know what I mean? We all, we always want to, it's uncomfortable for us to talk about. We want to put a little wrapper on it, right? No, instead I'm going to, I'm going to challenge the family listening. If you are told something difficult or traumatizing from someone, that means they want you to hold space, but your reaction is pretty important to their healing. And let me tell you why, if you tell me something horrible, I'm going to listen and not edit myself. I'm going to listen and go, I'm going to cover my mouth. If it's horrible, I'm going to let my eyes go wide. And I'm going to say, you just survived something huge. I just want you to know how huge this is. And I'm horrified for you. This is horrible. Something happens when that happens. I had some, I did that with someone that survived a horrible sexual assault and she tried to kill herself and she survived. And I said, can I just tell you what a survivor you are? And she started to cry. And she said, nobody's called me survivor, just a victim. And I said, look at what you survived. 
you were a freaking warrior. She said, nobody's ever called me that. She needed to see my reaction of horror because then she looked at me and she goes, you're right, it was horrible. And you see and, this and, and, and That is, you, I mean, those are two separate circumstances that intermingle to something totally horrific as you suggest. So often women and men, people, people who have uh, been victimized sexually hold that in from shame. And so often I've seen, tell me if any data supports it, that very often families are embarrassed by suicide of anybody in the family. And that kind of frames and constrains how they're able to help, even if they want to give the help, that embarrassment. I mean, suicide can get very public, can't it? Oh, the shame and stigma around suicide, especially culturally, especially religiously. I come from an Italian Catholic family. I still have family members. My brother has been dead 14 years. I still have family members that swear he did not kill himself because they will not say it because that means he goes to hell according to them. Like it's so, it's wild. The people that will deny facts because it's too scary for them to wrap their heads around. It, and, 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 and I think, I think also in a lot of people fear that as with cancer or other illnesses, that if they recognize mental illness as a real condition that has many, many aspects to it, that it may run in families. Is there, is that too messy to talk about a little bit here and maybe bring some light and some help to our family who are listening right now? Because at the end of the day, we have genetic families. Mm -hmm. We have chosen poor families. COVID has taught us that we are a family of human beings on earth as well. Yeah, I think first of all, to assume that it is, uh, not contagious, but genetic, um, is buying into the shame and fear. There's nothing that supports that. It is, if anything, my personal opinion on the work that I've done in the last decade is that if you don't talk about it, that is, that's dangerous. It's, it's dangerous to not acknowledge it and question it and not talk about it. It's dangerous because you are telling people that it is not okay. I have people whisper to me still. They use whispers when they talk to me about my work. I don't even know them. They're, we're in public. There's no reason to whisper, but still people will come up to me and go, I love that. You know, the one that you do, it's, it's sad. And I'm, I'm a little bit rude, but I'm, I'm so tired. I list, I literally will turn my volume up and go, do you mean my project on suicide? And they just, they wince. Why did you wince with that word? Tell me. Mm -hmm. And I ask that openly and they don't have an answer. It's just so sensitive. But don't you think we should talk about it in full volume because it's serious? Don't you think we should well, raise the volume? That, that leads us, though, to something you hit lightly on, and I'd love you to go back to it and direct people as well to how they can become a part of your conversation if they choose, uh, because you talked about 
having safe spaces and how we think about them, how we talk about them, importantly, how we join them and create them. Can you talk a little bit about that? And if you're welcoming, welcome people to, uh, to your community that you're actually helping people with this, how to find what you're doing. Yeah, so the House of M um, is my umbrella now. It started as Faces of Fortitude, which is the photo project, but then COVID happened and I couldn't travel and I couldn't take photos anymore. And I was still trying to figure out, and I still am, how to make Faces of Fortitude and everything under the umbrella sustainable. You know, I think it started as some side projects and, you know, but when you're dealing with mental health and, and, and things like that, um, you know, uh, profiting off any of that is gross. And so I definitely am trying to find my space. But I think that um, the House of M is a, more about creating safe spaces within ourselves so that we are able to create these safe spaces no matter where we go and where we are. So it's not necessarily a location. The House of M and the safe spaces within are a mental space. And they're a space of non-judgment, of always learning, and of being accountable. And it's really important for me as a white privileged person to use those spaces to lift voices that need some some space and that need all of that and so i am trying to invite people in that want these safe spaces and also use that space to educate them while they're there around all of these things so they can find you can find me at my website house of m it's literally just at the house of m um, on all social media Great. And listen, you, um, you also advocate for, I believe, uh, sunshine and music as part of the healing process. Mm, yes, That can be so obvious to people, yet sometimes the obvious is overlooked. Please talk about with respect to our mental wellness, mm. how important sunlight and music are. Yeah, uh, it's funny. Um, some I was accused once by my brother when he was alive of having he didn't know what main character syndrome was back in the day. Now we do, we do. But he said, "I saw you. I saw you today." And I was like, "I didn't even see you. Where were you?" And he said, "You were walking down Broadway. It was a fall. Your hair was blowing in the wind. You had a scarf on. You were listening to your music, and you were vibing in the sun." For me, when I see a sunray, and I know I have music I'm going to listen to. I put my headphones in and I make myself the main character of my movie when I'm outside. That is, there is a level of serotonin mental wellness that is shot into your system when you do that. I don't care. That I'm not a part of anybody else. Only, hey, hey, a lot of people only allow themselves that in a daydream. You're saying you get out and you have a day Live life. it. I'm telling you, it's something from from having so many Virgos in my life, I know a good fit. And so I'm like, okay, let's accessorize. Let's get dressed nice for ourselves, not for anybody else. Let's go stand in a sunray, get, get myself a cup of coffee and go for a walk in a cute pair of shoes and get some sunlight on my face. That does two things. You're breathing different air. You're letting some, some vitamin D into your skin and your face, but you're also thinking about only yourself in that moment. You're listening to your favorite song. Mine is um, uh, the Beyonce song, the love on top, because in I the believe moment, in, in the moment yes. we're in. 
Because yeah. those songs move with oh, they I do. tell they people, do. play the they music do. that takes you where you want to go. Exactly. But I start with that song because I think <laughs> it's about self-love. Go back and listen to it. I think Love on Top is about self-love. But, mm-hmm. you know, you've got to you've got to make yourself the main character of your movie sometimes in order to remind yourself that safe spaces for your friends and family who might be struggling, being a good parent, being a good partner, friend, you can't fully do those unless you are fully doing it for yourself. Who's your best friend? Do you have a best friend? Who's your best friend? Are you asking me to Yes, yes. You know I'm not answering that on this podcast. Uh-huh. Right with, with all my best friends <laughs> listening. Okay. Uh, okay, you know that, right? <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is why I say this. Your best friend, the person that has known you the longest in your whole life mm-hmm. is actually you. And people don't treat them like their mm-hmm. own best friend. Mm-hmm. There's a poem. Mm-hmm. I went to Oprah's, uh, there was a, Oprah had this tour that she did a while, like a decade ago, where it was like, live your best life or something. And I, my friend had an extra ticket and I went and Oprah read this poem mm-hmm. that had me sobbing. And it was about greeting yourself again and finding that friend who's known you since the beginning. Oh, you know my family's going to be asking me, where can we find this poem? Where can, can we I, find this poem? Will you, will you let me just read it to you? Oh, I would love you to. I've been reading If to people. I've been reading John Lennon's Imagine, which is my favorite song. And you remember If from back in grade school? Yes. I, look, I, I, I made it gender inclusive. So I tell look people when I read it to you, you're not going to hear it the same way Rudyard wrote it, but he did some good work as Rudyard. We just got to be gender inclusive in how we uh, how we recite it. Now, go ahead and read your poem, M. I, pr- I appreciate you making it gender inclusive. I think that is a really, really good practice to show your family and everybody. So I appreciate you for doing that. Um, this is called Love After Love with Derek by Derek Walcott. And it was, Oprah was like 60 yards from me reading this. And I think she was reading it to me, but whatever, we'll, we can argue that later. So I'm but, here with you. I'm going to close my eyes as okay. you read it. So if for any chance I'm still on camera as you read it, my eyes will be closed, taking it in and just receiving it as love from you. Go for it. Yeah. Okay. Love after love. The time will come when with elation, you will greet yourself arriving at your own door, in your own mirror, and each will smile at the other's welcome and say, sit here, eat. You will love again the stranger who was yourself. Give wine, give bread, give back your heart to itself, to the stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you ignored for another, who knows you by heart. Take down the love letters from the bookshelf, the photographs, the desperate notes. Peel your own image from the mirror. Sit and feast on your life. That's it right? Wow. Feast on life. My sister, Sandy, who's in heaven right now, told me um, years ago, 
am I never loved pictures of myself. And she told me years ago, oh, it's only because you don't love yourself and you don't know yourself well. Don't throw them out because I would tear me out or, you know, she says, stop doing that. One day you can pull them back and you'll love them. And whether you love how you looked or not, you'll be able to love how you lived. And so, and I was like, oh, wow. And this, this poem of greeting yourself, many of us for the first time likely uh, is huge. I mean, recently I've been sharing quite often in how it was so late in my life and my career that I forgave myself for being black, female, and smart at the mm -hmm. same time. There have been occurrences, events, and experiences where I may have welcomed one or the other. Oh, if I'm really feeling bold, two of them. But that for so long, I never allowed all three to be present at the same time. And um, again, that Virgo daughter of mine was the encouragement uh, to me to go ahead and be fully present. Uh, this poem is a lovely poem you just read. It does require some boldness to receive it and then to live it, doesn't it? Mm, I think so many of us don't find boldness until later in our lives. I know I didn't, I, I really didn't. I hated pictures of myself. When you said that, I felt that so deep. And um, now I, I, I'm learning to find my light and find my angles and find love for myself in spaces that I never did before. And so, so many of us don't know who we are, let alone can't sit in a space as our full selves with ourselves, with, let alone with other people. I'm realizing now I'm sitting here with you, a, a legend, and I'm sitting here in my full self, you know what I mean? And that's, it's something that we all need to learn to be proud of rather than picking ourselves apart. But this, this hit me so hard because when I listened to it over a decade ago, I was not who I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. I was not, I there was nothing. And Oprah said this to me. And the part that made me sob was give back your heart to itself, to the stranger who loved you your whole life that you ignored for another who knows. I read something. Heart. I read, forgive me, I read something Oprah uh, on, an, on an Oprah magazine. Um, you remember we used to get magazines in the yes, mail? Yes, right. We used to get mail. Remember um, that? <laughs> and you were talking earlier going back in the day. Wow. Um, but I read something and I may be power quoting it and I respect her too much to ill phrase her. Uh, but here's what I took from it. And I think I'm quoting, but it may be a pair quote in. She said, never dim your light that others may shine. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow. And that was something I hooked back into to allow me to bring my full self present, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, for a lot of years, my fear of racism whether it was present or not, and very often, most often it was, but whether it was present or not, my fear of racism disallowed me to be fully present in a conversation and to sit here and to just be blessed by your conversation that urges and, 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 and that also supports us to have the conversation. 
or even just listen. We don't have to know the answer, but just to listen to people. It's just such a beautiful thing that you're doing, Em. I'm, 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 I mean, I'm an M fan mm. on that point. So thank you. I got to ask you, though, before we go to four for four, because uh, we're going to play a game four for four. You know the girls got to have the games. I love games. Um, it's fine. Uh, um, but I do got to ask you, what's wrong with baseball? <laughs> Mariners. A, you're looking at a Dodger fan over here, one who had a few Ooh. tears and then had to shake it off. When I tell you, when I tell you that after that TEDx talk came out, the baseball <laughs> fans came for me. They I'm came for me. For you. I'm coming for you. <laughs> I I took I I took that idea from the movie Bull Durham. Do you remember that movie? I remember the, the name of the movie. I don't think I saw the movie. The, the woman withholds sex from him until he can, he can produce a, a home run. And, uh, he, I thought about it because I was like, well, I, I'm just going to withhold my tears instead for baseball. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, I think for me, I really, really, really hate crying in public. It makes me feel like I don't have my stuff together. And so I compartmentalize emotions a lot but something that I have realized since that TEDx, because, you know, that's the TEDx that I actually, that was not planned, the crying at the end, but it, it was authentic. And something I've realized is in a world that is so manufactured, a world that is so um, fake in so many ways right now, I think vulnerability is the new superfood. I think showing people your mistakes, showing people your tears, showing people, instead of saying, I want to be here for you to talk about your trauma, I'm going to say, I'm going to talk about my trauma so you can hear me process and maybe you'll learn something from it. And if not, I made a new friend. Like let's, yeah. vulnerability is a new superfood. It is our new, whatever that, I never knew how to pronounce that berry, that akai, whatever. It's the new. Akai. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, 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 Em. You got me vulnerable because I'm showing up on this podcast for you without face makeup, just Woo! a little bit chapstick. So, okay. But I'm going to look pretty when you see me face to face, which we will do. Okay. I would love that. Are you ready for four for four? I'm yeah, so ready. ready. Okay. So, M, you get to invite four people to dinner from any time except tomorrow. They have to have express life on earth. Mm. Who are you inviting to dinner and why? Ooh. Um, Frank Sinatra, just because he was my lullabies as a kid. So as an Italian, I can't so not say Frank Sinatra. Um, <clears throat> I've always been a really huge, not huge, but really, really big Etta James fan. Oh, so wow. I would love to... And, and I just think she was fascinating, all of her interviews, everything. I would just love to have a conversation with her. Hey, um, hey Em, you, you just mentioned be, uh, Beyonce for a different song. Uh, how did you feel about Beyonce doing Etta James at last? First of all, the fact that where she did it, where that day, that inauguration, I don't think I've cried that hard in a long time. 
when she sang that song, I was like, oh, you're trying to ruin me. Like, it was beautiful. I thought it was incredible. I think Beyonce and, and, is know, one of my- I believe it was, I believe it was intended uh, as, a, as, as a love song and an expression for their dance. But a lot of people Ooh. said, you know, at last, just that, just that phrase felt like a hope and a promise to them in their spirit from where they were. So exactly. Anyway, yeah. So Etta James though. Okay. Yes. Etta so Etta, James. also the next person was going to be Beyonce because one of the most inspirational Virgos I've ever seen, like just the production value of everything she does. Mm -hmm. um, and then I would, uh, the fourth person would be my Nonna Maria, which I never got to meet or Nona Maria, I did get to meet, I was a child. She died when I was very young. Um, I'd love to have her there um, just because I take after her the most. Um, so, yeah. Okay, well, you got a good dinner uh, dinner guest list. Yeah. I guess I'll cook in the back and come out and, and visit yeah. a little bit. I'll, yes. I'll be the cheeky, I'll be the cheeky server. <laughs> no, you got to sit next to Beyonce. I got to have my two power Virgos together. <laughs> Not too close, woo. Um, hey, M, hey, M, uh, what four books have you read that you recommend to our family and why? It's hmm. a great, great question. Uh, I love the book Sissy. Um, it is, uh, can I get it? Is that weird? Yeah, girl, okay, we are visiting. It. Let me get it, let me get it, let me get it. This, hey, hey, M, this ain't this stuffy place. We talk and we 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 chat from home. That makes me that makes me so happy. Hold on. Okay, these two for sure, and then the other two by heart. Okay. Jacob Tobia wrote a great book called Sissy about gender. And mm -hmm. um, it's just a it's a coming of gender story about their life. And it's just so helpful for anybody that is trying to understand both themselves and gender in general. Um, local writer. So you want to talk about race, Idioma, if you have not read it. Um, I love Rupi Kaur poetry. So I would suggest any of Rupi's books, but The Sun and Her Flowers are, is a great book. Um, and then any Audre Lorde poetry, um, like how do we not celebrate Audre Lorde? So those are, those are, I think those are four. Yeah four books. Those are four. And, you know, it's interesting because two of yours are poetry. Um, and you, as we already talked about, you really do subscribe to sunlight and music. And poetry is music that you get to put your own sound to, isn't it? So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, okay, we're going three for four. What are you listening to? Four. What are you listening to and why? I am the most random music person you'll ever meet. I just pretty much don't like like current country, but I like everything else. Uh, I'm listening to, uh, I kind of like some of the new Kanye, uh, even though I don't want to, but I like it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I hate, I, uh, so he's so, oh, there's a lot. That's a whole other episode, but I do like the, the new songs. Um, I always listen to Whitney Houston radio when I'm at home doing lives on TikTok. Cause you know, Whitney Houston, just, just it's Whitney Houston. That's all that we need to know. So I'm always listening to some era of Whitney Houston. 
um, always, always listening to Tchaikovsky or Vivaldi um, when I'm writing because I can't have. Oh, you make me feel so dumb and stupid. I just I, I've been painting at home and I listen to Chopin as I paint, and that's, that's kind of. <laughs> that's great though. That's amazing. Yeah, but Chopin was not the you know uh, nervy, uh, 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 explosive, you know. Well, but it's, it's relaxing though. See the only, yeah, Tchaikovsky and, you know, Vivaldi get you like, I'm writing about this your trauma. Yeah. It just gets me going. <laughs> I, I, I listen to Chopin and I kind of like, you know, mm-hmm. what's um, your third listen? I really love Orville Peck. Orville Peck is like the, the, the gay cowboy. And uh-huh. I just, I just love him. I love um, he did a cover of a Lady Gaga song recently that I kind of blew my mind. Um, so yeah, Orville Peck for sure. So 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 you're kind of like uh, uh, I, I should say I'm kind of like you. I listen all over the place. The only exception is I do love me some country music. Do and, you? Well, you're in the south, yeah. I love. Well, I mean, when I was growing up, that's what I heard, right? Uh, but not just for that reason. You mentioned Whitney Houston. One of my favorite Whitney Houston songs is Dolly Parton's song. <laughs> you, Agreed. You know? Agreed. I will Agreed. always love you. And I love me some Miss Dolly. Okay, and, but I love uh, Dolly. I love Dolly. Dolly I love went older. on TikTok too. Didn't Dolly go on TikTok? Yes. I, and think I, lo- she, I think she took the jab on TikTok. To I temporarily lost my mind. When she went on TikTok, I was like, oh, Dolly's here. Everybody get ready. So yeah, yeah no, I love Dolly. Yeah. I love old country. I love old country. I just don't, the new age pop stuff, I'm just not a fan of. Okay, so maybe you want them to drive in their lane, but here's what I got to tell you. Dolly Parton, I think. Have you, there's actually something out on Dolly Parton on Netflix, I think, right now. Is, is there? there? Uh-huh, where it just kind of goes through her life. I can't remember the name of it. Here I go. Let me see if I can find it real quick because I do, I do love me some Dolly. She's, she's, but she's also outstanding. Like she's a Capricorn like me. She's an earth sign. She gets shit done in her life. I'm pulling it up now to see if I can find it because I do think it's worth mentioning to folks. Okay. Let me search it. Dolly Parton. And I'm going to recommend it to you if you uh, like it. I'm not sure. It may be on Netflix. Um, Here I am. Dolly Parton, Here I Am. Go watch that. Go watch that. It's it's really a good one. And it takes you through her journey growing up. And it shares how she was able to encompass and, and appreciate her audience while still liberating and freeing herself to do and be everything she wanted. It's, I think it's a lesson on life that has a lot of takeaways. So I strongly recommend you look at Dolly Parton, Here I Am. Okay, I'm gonna, that's on my Netflix list now. Okay, I got one last okay. four for four for you, babe. I'm so ready. And that is, give us the four pieces of advice you most think our audience, our family can benefit from. And if it's not your own advice, 
share with us how you got it and who gifted it to you, if you're able. I love giving homage to those people mm. who help us to propel through life with joy and health. I always share this piece of advice first because it's the cheekiest and the cheesiest. My stepdad, who's my dad, he raised me, um, told me once when I got a Costco card for the first time, he said, honey, because I said, I don't know what to get at Costco. I don't even know where to start. And he said, honey, only get what you have space for. And what you don't have space for is not worth your time. And I use that across all my life now. Only take in what you have space for. And I use it for everything. I'm like, well, this is the life. My life is Costco. What can I fit right now? What some people use spoons. Like how many spoons do you have today to deal with other things? Today, I'm a one spoon day. Tomorrow, I might have 10. Next day, negative two. So I just, that's a great piece of advice. Um, I think my daughter gave me a great piece of advice before you try to fix something for me. Ask me if I want just to have you listen or fix. And I think that's a great thing to go into life with is ask people, don't be afraid to ask that second question. And then my third piece of advice goes on that. Uh, the power of yes, I think is what it's called. And I'll have to find the exact title and you can put it in the description of this episode, but there's a Ted talk that I watched. Um, and it was the first one I ever watched and I loved it. And it's um, about a man who goes and try, cause he doesn't, he would take the word no very personally. And so he went out doing all of these wild things to hopefully start hearing no easier. But what he learned was when he went and asked wild, crazy things, how many times people actually said yes. And what we do is we think we over, we, the stories we tell ourselves, like Brene Brown says, the stories we tell ourselves make us edit and maybe not ask for things we want or need. So maybe encouraging everyone, this is my, my advice now, when I learned to ask that second question is when I started making moves in my life. Don't wait at the first question because you're worried the second question will embarrass you. You never know. Ask it. Oh, that, 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 that's incredible. Just this morning, 5.30 my time a.m., I attended a, a, a board meeting for a university I serve on the board of. And one of the biggest reasons they were able to get a lift in their funding was, as the campaign um, advocates spoke to, they asked. People just were afraid to ask in this season. But when they had the understanding of what they were asking for and why they were asking it, for God's sake, local education at the university level, people did give, you know, but they had to go back and ask. So. Yeah, and, and uh, whoever listens to this podcast that knows me, what is going to be said now by everyone I know is you need to learn to take your own advice because I don't do that last one very a lot because we mm -hmm. all think, oh, we tell ourselves stories. And what I learned in that TEDx was he went, the funny story was he went to the Krispy Kreme drive-thru and he said, can I have five donuts, like the Olympic symbols and like in colors? For sure, they'd say no. There was a pause. And the woman said, how much time you got? And he got them. We don't know what we can get, but you do know what it does to your mental health if you think about it, regret it, or even think, I'm stupid. I shouldn't have asked that. You know what I mean? 
So we have to just, we have to give our, and that's my last piece of advice. I think at the end of the day, none of us give ourselves enough grace. I think we are all in this space where we are so kind and so understanding to people we love, but we don't treat ourselves like someone we love. And I would love it if everyone took their phones or their calendar apps and scheduled the time every day to give yourself grace, whatever that looks like. For me, sometimes it's a McDonald's soft serve and sometimes it's just closing my eyes and listening to some soft music. But either way, small amount of time every day to show yourself grace. And that's, that's my advice. Drop the mic. <laughs> Oh, and thank you, thank you so much. We gotta, we gotta figure out how we're gonna hang out because this, this has been very, very teaching, and you've served my soul so well. I know you've served the soul of our listening family. I, I can only thank you. Thank you so much, Janice. Uh, I, I, I was, I was going through imposter syndrome when you asked me to be here. I was like, who, what? I don't have any idea. <laughs> who she is talking to, because clearly it's not me. I consider myself a very small player compared to the work that you have done for yourself and in the community and for all of your employees and everything you've done. And I hope to be even somewhere where you are. I mean, I'm, I'm still here and you're there. So I just, I've, um, I'm very appreciative of this space and your time. Thank you. Thank you. Let's share time together again. Soon. Yes, please. I'll make the Italian thank food. Thank you. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>